Hi, this is Steve Addison for the Movements Podcast. Podcast for disciple making movements and churches everywhere. This is the second session by Dale Jones on disciple making movements among Buddhists. So, just to kind of get us started, um, well, first of all, to, to reference the resources, I, I brought enough of the resources to help you with this. You didn't see me use anything while presenting the gospel to Jeremy. Uh, that is really the goal. I, I, don't, I don't like a lot of crutches, but I, I do understand that when somebody is a brand new believer, it's going to be hard for them to remember a lot. So I've got some stuff in the back. I'll show you how to use it later. Um, that will help you to walk your, to be to walk through the bridge with somebody. It's not they're not tracks to hand out. They're really aids for the person that's sharing. So just to just a little bit of a caveat there. Um, but for us to sort of get into a discussion, I've got two questions for you, and we can hear your comments, and then and then see if we can get some feedback on, on the comments. Um, the two questions are. What did you like about this process? And what did you feel uncomfortable about with this process? So be thinking about that as we discuss. What did you like and what did you not so like? There, there are, there are going to be answers to both of those questions. And it's good to bring it all out and for us to have a, some sort of a dialogue about that. I realize this is a little bit on the head. I, I would love to just simply go right into training and, and, and just show you how to do it and get you, get you competent and confident in doing this. But obviously, I think that there are potential barriers that we've got to address before anybody would be willing to even give it a go. So let's start with that. And, and I'm not an expert. All I know is what's been happening and we're seeing great fruit. And, uh, and, and it's real. And people's, people are being transformed. Uh, my, I, like I said, I've led a half a dozen people to the Lord in the last six weeks this way. My disciples have le- led another dozen or more, maybe 15 people to the Lord this way. And, and the people that they've led to the Lord have already begun to share their faith. So this is something that is clearly alive and, and, it's, and it's multiplying. So if that's any kind of, uh, you know little bit of a, you know, this is some, there's something about this that works, it's great. But again, I'm not an expert. This is something that we're, we're still pursuing to see, you know, find all the different ways that we can be most effective. So anyway, anyone have a, an answer to one of those questions? Yeah. The need for marriage is a very huge 
helps quench your thirst is couple quick comments on her comment. Uh, I've also uh, seen that I haven't yet come across anybody that knew the Four Noble Truths, um, no matter how religious they are. They, they don't know it. In other countries, Burma and Thailand, they, they really, they're a lot more well-educated about it. But here they don't. But here's the deal. They resonate with those truths because it's, it's totally saturated in all the different bonds that they're doing uh, all the way from, from marriage and funeral bonds to other, other kinds of bonds all this terminology is there and all these concepts are there even though they can't you know recite the Four Noble Truths there's something that resonates when you're talking about that well and then just you know what I've seen before in using some of the terminology especially um, some of our teammates was that thankful that we had cared enough about him to study it. And, and, you know, they were like, oh, well, I didn't know that, but, you know, it, it, it even endeared us a little bit more. So, yeah. Right, I mean, the comments. some significant trial and error, I might add, <laughs> uh, to coming but, up but, with... But that's those. significant, because you lose the story of Jesus, and you lose what you're trying to create from the very beginning. So that, that story of Jesus is, is, is the seed that you want to go from, from generation to generation to generation, as people replicate that. They lose that story of what God's story, and it will it will peter out. You know, it will it will lose its power as it as it disseminates uh, down through the, the different levels. So I, I think that 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 is that is the I need to clarify. I am definitely sold on chronological Bible storying and that process, but when it comes to evangelism, it's too. In my experience, it takes too long. If you want to if you want to unpack all of these stories. That whole meta-narrative from creation to Christ, um, part of the discipleship process is unpacking each one of those stories one by one chronologically so that their understanding of, of that is, is strengthened. But to, but to share the gospel trying to do that takes too long and, and you lose them. What, what, what I think has happened, at least, and I've just recently come to this 
is we, as Westerners, we look at things in its parts. And we, we, we take something apart and we present it in parts. And we expect people to be able to, to, to synthesize all of that together to get the whole story. Mm. You know? And the Asians, Asian people don't think that way. They want the whole story. And then they look at the parts and see how they each fit. But they need to have the whole story, the map of, of how this all comes together, you know, from beginning to end. And, you know, I think that's been the, the root problem for, for the way that I've done evangelism and I've done things, that, uh, teaching Bible story, because they, they can't see how it all fits together. It's all these dis, dis, uh, uh, joined stories that, 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 doesn't, that doesn't always equal together. And I think having, having that meta-narrative in the very beginning is so important because they can say, okay, now I know where this fits. You know, you're talking about, you know, creation, I know where that fits. So, so Dal, typically you wouldn't be doing, uh, say with Jeremy, he was a typical command, you wouldn't be doing discovery Bible study in a lead up to a conversation like that. You'd want to sort of start in that place. This is, I've just met Jeremy at this cafe. Yeah. This is the filter to find people of peace. This is a, you give them the whole thing and see what happens. I am, again, Discovery Bible Study is important. Yeah. It is. But uh, we, we put this at the front end. And we want to spend time with those that are truly responding. Not, not to try to lead somebody in the process of many weeks to see if they're, they're really open. So this is... The, the, the gospel story is the filter or, or the bridge together the four noble truths together with the gospel this is really a filter if Jeremy had said oh yeah well that's really a good story but really didn't show interest that's, I'd just move on and, uh, and maybe someday I'll see him again and maybe he'll be ready but, or someone else will but I'm not going to try to keep pounding on a certain person just because they're willing to talk to me you know, I'm going to try to find that person of peace. Who, who's, who is the Holy Spirit uh, working in, in their heart? Who, who, is, who is that person that's really ready? What, what about if Jeremy has said, look, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready to believe. But I'm, and it's not just I'd like to talk to a Westerner, but I, I do want to talk more. Mm -hmm. So would you just meet with him again and, and, and work through some of the similar things that you, you'd shared? Rather than we'll go into a series of discovery Bible studies, you would. This this has happened in Kampala. So among those that have come uh, to the Lord, there's been a few that were with that with that perception or perspective. They they're very interested, but they're not quite ready to commit. And so yes, you want to follow up because uh, you can't expect fruit to pop up immediately in everybody. Some people are just ready, and, and God's ready. To, to bring them in. Others aren't quite there. So, one thing that I do is I challenge them to put God to the test. And I said, is there something in your life that you're dissatisfied with and that you, a crisis of some kind that God could, God could demonstrate that he, he, is, he is really here right now and he, he's wanting to speak to you. Is there anything? Maybe they're sick, maybe they're a sick child or whatever, a financial problem, something. Everybody's got something. And I say, and I say, okay, put God to the test, and I will meet you in a week. 
I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to believe that God is going to do something miraculous. I'll come back. We'll meet each other and we'll see what God did. And if you come back and you say God did absolutely nothing, I won't talk to you again about it. That's it. I, I, won't, I, won't, har- I won't bash you with this. But if you say, oh, something weird. Yeah, I think God is helping me or something like that. Then it's like you got that door is cracked open, pushed open even further. So that's one thing that we've been doing is, is challenging. Like, okay, so the, the one woman, Chinese woman, she prayed the prayer to receive forgiveness of sins. Getting ready to baptize her, she said, well, wait a minute. My younger siblings uh, come to me and ask me to help pray to a rat for them, to pray to Satan for them. And I can't, I can't uh, you know, uh, shrug, shrug that responsibility. I've got to do it. It's my, my siblings. And, and Chinese culture is so familial. You know, it's very, very tight bonds there. She just couldn't do it. And because she knew that to do that step was to was to renounce all the stuff. And I said, okay, that's fine if you're not ready for that. God is going to be speaking to you. God is going to be revealing himself to you. And I said, what about this? What if we go and talk to your siblings and see if maybe they want to put their faith in Christ? And then you can help pray to, to Jesus for them instead of the rat. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, so... That's what happened. I didn't even go and, and speak to those younger siblings. Someone else in the family did. And now she's like, okay, I can, I can do it now because my family's not depending on me to, to, uh, to pray to Arat. And so the Lord answered the prayer. You know, and, and in some ways you think, well, you know, what kind of commitment is that? You know, why didn't she just renounce and be done with it? Well, they're in a process. And sometimes it takes time for people to be ready to truly uh, renounce their old life. The same family had a problem. When I was asking about it, they said, well, what about our fam- ancestral altar? You know, if I, because if I, evidently they come across Christians before, what do I do about that? I just asked them, I said, well, what is it? I know what it is, but I asked them, what is it? So said, well, we... Just we put the incense up there and the, and the tea and the coffee and the cigarette or whatever it was. And uh, I said, well, why do you do that? And they said, well, we just do it to remember our dead ancestors. I said, is that all? What if you don't do it? Well, all of our neighbors and all of our friends are going to say we don't honor our dead ancestors. I said, yeah, but... Will your dead ancestors do anything to you? Will they, you know, seek revenge in some way because you haven't done this to them? I said, no. I said, well, are they needing this for, from you? Are they, are they able to help you? Are you worshiping them in any way? They said, no. I said, I have no command in, in Scripture to talk about this. I said, I can't tell you to take that down if it's just remembering your dead ancestors. But if you're worshiping them, then that is unacceptable. So you tell me, what are you doing? They said, we're just remembering them. I said, well, in the States, we remember our dead ancestors too. We go to their gravesite once a year. We put flowers or plant a tree or we clean it up. We do that too. I said, if that's what it is, then I have nothing to say. It's between you and God. They said, okay, well, we'll believe. And so are people going to misunderstand? Maybe. But they, they will have the responsibility of, of telling people, 
oh, you know, that's not worshiping. We, we're only remembering. We worship only Jesus. You know, isn't that all of our responsibility to, do, to, uh, to enlighten people as to what it is we're doing? Yeah. So I, I had no authority from God to tell them to take down that, that thing that they were using only as a cultural connection. <coughs> yeah. Unless you guys can think of something in scripture, I, I can't. You know, you can't remember you're dead, you know, in this way or that way. I had, I had nothing to give them. So. Well, I think uh, for us as Westerners, it's easier to, I don't know if the right word is, downplay or place a little bit more insignificance on some of those things. Um, but as Cambodians or Taiwanese who you know, come to faith, there's some really deep seated practices, beliefs, and built into light and incense. Because uh, you know, I've similar, you know, uh, approach. It's like, well, ooh, and then my Christian Cambodian brother or sister beside me is going, no. They see the significance of this. So, praise God for uh, Cambodian Christians uh, who can um, help work through that and help the Here's, like here's real lines drawn in the sand. There have been those lines push people away from faith. Yeah. Uh, I've drawn lines in the sand when I became a Christian because of things that I was part of. Mm. And I ran hard the other direction. And that's what I see in this culture as well. When people come into faith with the trap and bondage of incense and worship and monks and putting strings on and all of these trappings, and they, are, they see the evil exactly where the focus of our our thought and attention should be is this issue because we do not want and this has been happening all over the place and that is barriers have gone up that uh, Jesus didn't put up that we put up and it's kept people from coming to faith sadly Um, 
we, we need to think a lot and pray a lot about this and be careful not to present American Christianity or Australian Christianity that we are not presenting religion, we're presenting a God of all creation. Um, so one of the problems for the people, you talk, talk about religion and culture, for us, it's, it's clear cut. Religion is in this box and culture is in this box. And well, of course you get rid of this box and you keep this one. <coughs> for the folks here in this country, it's all one and the same. And if they say, if this question comes up, if I believe in Jesus, do I have to leave my religion? Be careful with that question. Because when they say religion, everything that is attached to it, which is in their, encompasses their entire culture, is there. And if we say, yes, you have to leave your religion, they understand that they need to become American or some other foreign entity to embrace Jesus. And we know that's not the gospel. We know that's not it. So I usually divert the question and I say, well, I am not talking about religion. I am talking about God. Are you ready to embrace God and turn your worship to God alone? I'm not saying anything about religion at all. And so I, I actually want them to, to keep anything that they can in order to stay within the context and within the culture. Will there be misunderstandings? Yeah, I'm not seeing one in this room, but most places where there's a, a place of worship, we have some things. What do we have? Cross. A cross. Has anyone ever in all of history misunderstood us to think that we worship the cross? <laughs> That's really a dumb question, of course. Of course they do, all the time. Do we worship the cross? I, at least I don't. Maybe there are people that do. Like in Catholicism, we got some folks from the Philippines. They actually worship the crucifix. You know, this is, this is a problem. And so the question is, in the West, and this is part of our culture, our Christian culture, so to speak, with the problem of people misunderstanding our kneeling in the front at the altar before the cross... And misconstruing that as being worshiping of the cross. Have we said, okay, we must take the cross out because it's become a stumbling block? I don't, you know, I don't know of a single instance where anybody has come to that conclusion. So what do we do? What do we do when people are confused or misunderstand? Oh, no. Brother, we're not worshiping the cross. It's only an icon of what Jesus did for us, of our salvation. It's only there as a reminder. Wow. Okay. Well, we give, we give explanation. And so, the question that you brought up, incense, it's a good, it's a good thing. Because people that have been, like you said, they, they, they've got all these attachments to things that they are trying to walk away with, walk away from. And they, and they, they say, oh, no, you can't burn incense. But quite honestly, is there anything about incense itself that God dislikes? They even burned it in the Old Testament. You know, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with it. But, but here's the deal. Some people who 
have to get rid of it because, and, and Paul describes these people in 1 Corinthians as the weaker brother. They are not in the, they don't have the freedom of understanding this is just stuff and has nothing to do with, with my heart of worship to God. To have it or to not have it is no big deal. And so, but the weaker brother says, ah, oh, I got to get rid of this and I got to get rid of this and I got to get rid of this because all, all of that is of the devil. That's all bad. When in, in fact, it was really the, the focus of the worship that was bad and not, not the act itself. And so, yeah, that's where we have to encourage people to do everything they can to tear down barriers and build bridges. And it's everything about this approach to sharing uh, the Four Noble Truths as this, this little uh, uh, picture thing will help you. It's about starting where people are at using their terminology. I can assure you that there are a lot of people that aren't comfortable using that terminology. You know, because they're afraid that it will lead to misunderstanding. So. First, uh, thank you for coming to your vote and sharing with us. Um, the thing that I liked, uh, back to the question too, was just how it's need based. You know, it's based on the suffering, you know, where they are, uh, no matter what culture we're talking about, and trying to figure out what are they seeking out of religion? What do they really, really want? And we, if our gospel message doesn't touch that, you know, then we're just yakking. Yeah. And I think it's spot on. Mm-hmm. That suffering 
people are trying to do whatever they can to get out of it, mm -hmm. and they know it's going to take forever, hundreds of lives, mm -hmm. to break it. And you're saying, i got some really good news. Mm -hmm. You can do it in one. Right That's now. awesome. Yeah. Tell me what that is. Tell them. Preach it. So anyway, thank you for that. That's <laughs> my positive thing of saying yeah. the suffering, I think, is the key, at least for here in Cambodia. It is, yeah. Um, the second thing I wanted you to explain a little bit is the first bit of, was three parts of the salvation decision. One was the forgiveness, making some of all. The second one was receiving Baptism in the water. The baptism Third is the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Sorry, okay. Mm -hmm. I, I, I get the, the second piece because it's a, a move of you know, forgiveness of sin, and you're also uh, coming to, uh, there's a step of obedience here, mm -hmm. and it's uh, you're stepping into a family, there's a newness there. Mm -hmm. I understand that. That needs to be very clear. This is, we're putting on the ring here, this is signifying. That I'm stepping into a new way of life and thinking, a new body, a new family. The third piece of receiving the Holy Spirit. Why do you separate it, or is it, or is it sounding more separated in English than it is in mine? Mm. Oh, it's uh, separated in mine. Because you know, you receive yeah. forgiveness of sin. It's a dual, simultaneous transaction that's taking place. Mm -hmm. It's my understanding, uh, well, at least my position of what I believe. Like, Bible and separate it. Why are you separating it? Mm -hmm. uh, what benefits or I mean, it might be yeah. different, it is separate. That's, fine. that's, uh, that's a wonderful question and it does boil down to theological understanding uh, more of a Pentecostal background that I have and some folks aren't, aren't there and that's fine. The I, I do believe that as soon as someone receives that forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit becomes part of their life. It absolutely happens in, in, immediately, like you said, there is a transaction. The, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this is my own uh, take on it, is really an experience of fullness. Okay, you know, how much of the Holy Spirit is there, I don't know. All I know is that in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Which seems redundant and unnecessary if we already are filled with the Holy Spirit because we're believers. It is something that we must seek for. And something, instead of being drunk with wine, let's, let's be, quote-unquote, drunk with the Holy Spirit. Let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what I am after, this is, my, this is why I make it a big deal right then, is I want to see transformation immediately. And I believe one of the things that we've seen happen... That, that has led to some quick reproduction is that people are being transformed immediately, not just ahead, oh, I agree with this. Okay, yeah. But they've actually, like you said, there's this transaction that happens, and not just, not just the, the clean heart, the, the cutting off of the old life, that's what the baptism in water is for, is a renouncing of the old and embracing the new. And uh, we could go into a long theological discussion about that. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit Again, to, to, to bring fullness, okay? And something happens. Quite honestly, when, when we, we've done this a number of times there, something absolutely happens that is, is additional and 
maybe, I, I don't know, I, I don't believe it's emotional type of a thing because we're not doing anything to hype up emotion. It's just simply expecting that God is going to fill them. Okay? And so, uh, for me, I see it as something separate and that there is something that happens, and this is uh, an axe kind of thing. Something happens at the laying on of hands, and, and, it, and it's not something you have to do all the time for somebody that, you know, it's just a one-time thing. I'm going to lay my hands on you, and the Holy Spirit is going to be filled up in you. And that is something that you need to seek for every day. And uh, it was the people that were filled with the Holy Spirit that were sent out. It was the people that were filled with the Holy Spirit that were sought for leadership. All of this kind of stuff is New Testament. So that's my thinking. And so uh, I, I, wanna, I want them to get as much as they possibly can from God right there at that one sitting. And not say, well, you know, you study for a while and we'll pray and see if, you know, God will fill you and, and you know, that you'll be but, passionate uh, for him. We can put aside... You know, does it happen at conversion? Is it post? You can just go straight to the text in in Book of Acts, and you'll see the scriptures really clear. There are uh, tangible signs of God's uh, powerful presence through the Holy Spirit when someone comes to know Christ. And there's actually no Luke doesn't come up with his the watertight sequence. Exactly, he says. Uh, this this power of the Holy Spirit, forgiveness of sins, baptism, repentance, faith—they're all part of the one conversion experience. Um, and it's actually a bit messy how it fleshes itself out um, in those conversion stories. But the one recurring theme is his different aspects of the one conversion experience, and. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, back home we all know, you've got to fight a battle to tell people, you know, waiting six months or, or six years is just not in the Bible when it comes to baptism. You know, it's, 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 it happens at the, when you convert. Uh, and so I think even if you're, you know, not a Pentecostal, you can read the text and say, you should expect the powerful presence of God at someone's conversion. Putting aside exactly if they go shake, if they go, that's not the issue. Right. That they will experience God in a powerful way. Yeah, and one quick thing before I answer Jeff's. Um, at least three times in the last six weeks, when we've prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, at least three times they spoke in tongues. We never taught them about tongues, they just simply did. So there's something that happened there, and, and not everybody, like you said, it, there's not like a, an airtight, this, this is the method and this is what happens, but, you know, hey, something, something was, well, was transacted. Yeah, just to, But that's uh, perfect. Yeah. Position, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Yep. There is, so what you did in your presentation that, that, that you wasn't just mentioned, and that third, that third one, the third baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I mean, the theological position aside, you empowered that person and you commissioned that person to be also a representative mm. of the message. Mm. They're, they're now, they're now empowered to now to be that messenger from, from God as well. And you have, you have encouraged them now into to taking on that task, which is essential in reproduction and replicating, where they now take, say, 
this is my task, this is my job, this is my responsibility now to take the story that I've been given and to pass it on. And I think that's very scary. Activate it. You made it right. You made it clear. You're now commissioned to, you're now God's storyteller to your people. And, and we used to put that, I mean, think about the commands of Christ, we used to stick that at the end. The tenth command or something, you know. I don't know if you heard of, you know, somebody came up with nine or ten commands yeah. of Christ. Well, I don't know how many people, there's different lists, I guess, but but we used to put a sort of, in the end, you know, go share your faith. Now it's the first command we expect them to do as a new believer is to go and share with somebody else. Go and bring this message to your family. I keep thinking of the, the demoniac who said, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be your disciple. And he said, no. And he, t- and he commissioned him to be a witness to the Decapolis area, which had just cast, just told him to leave. They, just, they had just told Jesus, get out of here. And he's, basically, Jesus wanted a representative there. He, he commissioned this newly delivered guy. What did he know? Only that God had done something good for him. And then Jesus comes back a year later, and they receive him with open arms, and great miracles take place. It's like amazing. What happened? This guy went out and told his story to everybody. So it's like, I look at that and I think, yeah, that is the first command as a a new disciple should obey is to go and to share. You don't know very much. It doesn't matter. Just tell what you know and God will be with you. And you know what? You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're commissioned. You're activated. You're gone. How long does it take a new believer, though, to be able... In your own way to do with others what you did with them. How hard is it to, for them to learn how to share and to lead people to Christ and disciple them? I don't know. Okay, because this is new. Well, it, it's new and everyone's different. <laughs> yeah. Um, everybody is able to share something. To do exactly the way I did it with a, with a level of proficiency, it takes training. So... When we see people come to Christ, immediately bringing them together in a, well, we would call them a discipleship group or a disciple generation group is what we call it. But really it's focused mainly on that gospel story and solidifying that in their hearts and helping them to be able to go share. So that evangelism is the first thing we focus on in them following Christ as a disciple. And it's, it usually takes a number of, of opportunities to practice um, to, to be able to do it. And uh, these little tools help because it, it gives you a, a visual picture plus a, some words that can help remind you of the story and all that. Um, but to be truly proficient, I don't really know yet. We're just seeing we're seeing people able to do it after a very short period of time. And and how well did they do it? I don't know. I, I never had the opportunity to really sit in and listen as they... I do know that my, uh, my national partner, after... Only two times of me modeling this went out. He just started leading all of his family to the Lord, which he had tried for years and years and years and years, and they wouldn't listen. But here's a guy, he's a pastor, and he's had, you know, it's not like it's brand new to him either. You know, it was just re- reorienting his vocabulary and, and stuff like that. And now he's just going gangbusters. But yeah. So, I, so you do know that it's, it's possible for this to become contagious. But if you're just monitoring how that's going, but that's the end game. What about in terms of moving from uh, having led 
uh, Jeremy, to the Lord. What, and I realize we don't have a lot of time for this, but just a, a mud map or a quick overview. How, what are you going to do now to disciple him? Did you say you, you move into some discovery Bible study, creation of Christ, or is there something else you do? We have disciple generation groups, which is a hybrid of T for T, LTG, Disciple uh, huddles from Mike Green's. I mean, we just took stuff from all over. So TFT is training for trainers. Training for trainers, which has worked as a as I a model. I think they'll get confused if you try and explain all of those. I, I can't. So just, just in, explain what you do. Okay. And we'll assume you you've stolen from a whole lot of. I have. <laughs> okay. I, I've hopefully taken only the best stuff from from everything that we looked at and we've tried. What what we've got is uh, disciple generation groups, which is let's say these 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 folks have just come to the Lord, or maybe one of one or two of them have actually been a believer for a while, one or two brand new believers. I'm training them, and it's basically designed to be a closed group. We're not looking to increase the number of people in this group. We want I want to train them to be able to do what I'm doing, and so. Let's say I just led them to the Lord. So the first pro- the first thing is, is this group is really a group that focuses on evangelism, first off. Training them to be able to evangelize. And then, Samrait, is that your name? Yes, yeah, Samrait. Samrait, Samrait, go over here and lead some people to the Lord. And he's got, a decide, he's got a new group. And these are new believers or just becoming believers, just like I'm doing. And so, and then, and then be tall, and, and we just, we just keep doing that. And, and so they're doing what, what I'm doing. This group uh, become, becomes a group of not just people focused on evangelism, but begins to be trained in, in, as disciples, deeper things, and what have you. Um, so this process is broken up. Really, we meet every week or every two weeks. Um, I, I think the, the optimum is every week but it can work with every other week. Um, we uh, have the time of about two, two hours. It's pretty optimum, two to two and a half hours, if you can. Um, broken up into three parts, three equal parts. One is called looking back, one is called looking up, and one looking forward. So the looking back is a more of a how are we all doing and how has the last week or two weeks been? Uh, reviewing, have, have you, we asked the question, have you been telling the, have you been sharing the gospel? How many times do you share the gospel? Or if it's, if these groups, are, if this group has changed and, and they're, um, they're down to a group of disciples, you know, the story from last week, how many times did you tell that? You know, so we're, there's accountability built into the review, the review part. Um, then we also, Ask you know about their personal personal life. How how's it going? Are you are you in communication with God? Do you have a, a living relationship with God? How, how's that been going? And, and so this there's this interaction at the beginning. And then we um, so the first thing we do is see how we're all you know suasoptokania. How are we all doing? Review review the previous week or two. Um, the third thing is confession of sin. And this is where we go back to the bon lepanto. The, the receiving the merit of receiving forgiveness, bring it back together again. Okay, is there anything that you thought, said, or did that was displeasing to God? Instead of having ten or fifteen accountability questions, we boil it down to one question that's broken into the three parts: thinking, saying, or doing. Is there anything that you've done that's displeasing to the Lord? 
confess it. Just confess it out. Very simple. And then we ask, we ask the question, well, why did you do that? You know, this is, a, this is a process of hopefully smaller groups. If you've got a larger group, you break into smaller groups. Why did you do it? And now what's God saying to you about how did, what do you need to do to change? What are you going to do differently? And so then, then you're praying. You're praying and asking for forgiveness. So this is built into the discipleship process. Every time we're, we're together, we're allowing God an opportunity to, to uh, bring correction. And we're helping each other with that. Then, um, then the, the next is looking up. And that's what, what it, it's either the new, a new story or an old story. It's looking up to God. What, what does God have for us this week? If it's sometimes we do the same thing we did last week because people aren't confident and competent yet, we go back to that same same story, whatever. We we, we go over it again, and and why aren't we out? Maybe they say nobody. People have said I haven't really out been out sharing it. Well, why haven't you shared it? Well, it could be that they they don't feel confident to, you know. Maybe they're not, or they really aren't competent to, you know. And so we we go over the story again. Maybe it hasn't. That story hasn't really impacted their life yet. If it's impacting their life, they're going to be motivated to share. So. It's an old story or a new story, depending on the situation. And then right after that, we go through the process of that. You know, we tell the story and go through a discovery Bible story kind of process where we ask questions. Um, you know, what is God teaching? We keep it very basic. What is God teaching us in the story? What do we need to obey in the story? Uh, who are we going to share the story with? Who, who's, who are the people that are in our uh, spheres that need this story now? And then... And, and so that takes, all that takes about a third of the total time. Then the third of the total time is practice. This is either practicing that story that we just learned or practicing whatever story you need to be, to, to implement for the group that you're leading or whatever, we, we do a practice time. So that, that's a little bit nebulous. We don't know. Depends on the person. But we're all there to kind of help each other. To practice what we what we need to be able to share with others. Um, after sh- after practicing, then we uh, make our plans. Okay, so this week or ne- the next two weeks, how are we going to to take what we've we've done here? How are we going to bring this to other groups or, or uh, unbelievers or whatever? What are our plans? And then finally, laying hands on each other. And again, the the one jamoi the, the asking the, the Holy Spirit to fill us all and commission us to go out once again. And so that's all built into that. And, and the intention is that we move through, uh, chronologically moving through stories, um, creation to Christ, and then other stories in the New Testament or whatever as as move on. That's sort of what the discipleship looks like. It's happening at this level. And at the same time, very soon after these folks start, they're expected to, to go out and to start. And that initial stage of where everybody is sort of learning about evangelism, it pretty much it pretty much shows who's going to do it or who's not. You know, the question of obedience is answered in the first week or two. Are they taking what they're learning and sharing with others? And if they're not willing to share the gospel, they're probably not going to be willing to tell stories and other things to their friends and family. So they pretty much just take themselves out and they drop out. And those folks that are actually obeying and doing it and activated, they're the ones that we're going to be focusing on, you know, bringing up, bringing along this process. So, sort of self-filters. That's what it looks like. 
all of this, including the, the presentation, is what we're actually focusing now our Jonathan training in October, October 14th through the 18th. We're, we're doing it modular style now, where it's, where it's three days of intensive training, and the whole focus is making disciples. And we're training people to do that, expecting them to do that, coaching them to do that after they're done with the training. And they don't go to the second module, which is multiplying churches, unless they're doing the, the first one first. There's no sense in training somebody to do something beyond their obedience. So uh, that's, you know, this is just a very, very brief overview. But we show you all the nuts and bolts and all that in that Jonathan training. So if you've had Jonathan training before, I can guarantee you this will look 100% different. <laughs> very much, very, not, not so much cerebral, very practical and um, giving tools and, you know, getting people activated and doing it. So. And there's a couple of, there may be a couple of places at this late stage, if anybody's interested, they can contact you. There is. And if you've had Jonathan training before or have had, you've been to our CMM Lite, which we did uh, back, back February, sort of like a foundational and introductory uh, day for CMMs. You wouldn't need the first day. It's really three days of training plus the fourth day Frank Shatner is going to be presenting his doctoral thesis, which we've clipped on to the end of the training. But the actual Jonathan training module one is only really three days. Yeah. Okay. Um, there is going to be, uh, at this point, I think there's still space for two or three more. If you know of anybody that absolutely needs training adaptation taking place as well as Philippines, or just here? Our style is, is totally geared towards Cambodia. So in Thailand, they have modified, I know Steve Parlato. Uh, and uh, some of the folks working with him have done the, a similar thing with the Jonathan training in the Mekong area there, and they've, they've gone to a modular style too. And it's all looking at how effective have we been in training people. Are they actually out there able to do what we've trained them to do? And so we've had to make tons of changes. And uh, we've got lots of, of uh, excitement about this upcoming training because we're, we're doing it ourselves and we're seeing fruit. We know that God is just going to multiply that. So.